Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What is the real truth about us? We pursue God most passionately when we want to get God involved in giving us something we really want. The thing we really worship and pursue. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff is sharing with us about kingdom living. He has a frank discussion with us about how we struggle in our dealings with other people. Preaching from the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The best definition I ever heard of loving your neighbor as yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself is to serve him with the grace and kindness and eagerness with which you serve yourself and meet the person's needs with all the power and passion you meet your own needs. This means forget about trying to keep up with the Joneses. Help the Joneses get to where you are. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Good to see you this weekend. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to Luke chapter 10. All right, as you're turning to Luke chapter 10, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to get to that. I want to ask you a question, just kind of set the stage here. I've made this statement before, and I want you to tell me if you agree with it. I've said this, everybody's normal until you get to know them. (laughs) Have you heard me say that? Do you think that's true? Yeah. Uh, Do you find that your biggest struggle in life is with other people? I mean, it's okay. Hey, think about it. If, 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 uh, if you were the only person on the planet, you'd have a lot less problems, wouldn't you? Now, you'd have other problems, but isn't it true, if, just being honest here, that the biggest challenge of our life is getting along with each other? I mean, most of your work problems and school problems is people that you wish existed someplace else. <laughs> Come on, even in your families, family, I mean, it's okay to say this. I mean, you, you know, my biggest challenge in ministry is you. And that's okay because some of your biggest struggle in your life is me. It's, it's just life. I'm, I'm saying, let's be honest with each other. We, we, listen, people, people can be difficult, can't they? Family members, people in the community. Uh, as a pastor, it is my job, my calling to meet your needs as, as best I can, either individually or through one of the ministries we have here. When you decide you're going to be part of CCV, things that keep me up at night is making sure that all your needs are met. If it's counseling, if it's an addiction that you have, if it's um, marriage uh, relationships, if it's singleness, my job is to bring the Word of God into that and encourage you and tell you there is a way that, that you can have the abundant life. There's a way. And... Uh, it's a challenge sometimes because people are different and one size does not fit all. And uh, even here at our church, we have to decide. We, you know, I feel it is our calling, and this is what I've, what I've spent most of my life doing. When you come to a weekend service, I want to connect with the seeker while growing the believer. That's the term I use all the time. I want to, in other words, there are people who come in here every weekend who are just checking out spirituality or checking out Christians or Christ. So I want to connect with them while at the same time teaching the word of God, because it's ultimately the word of God that will not return void. So we're not going to get shallow in our preaching and our worship, but we are going to do things that will connect with somebody who's new. That's why sometimes when you come in, you might hear Coldplay playing in the speakers. Uh, why, Why would you do that? 
Well, because it's the first time in church, you're a little nervous, not know what to expect. And if you hear that, well, wait a minute, maybe these people are okay. I mean, I mean, Coldplay's great. So they're obviously good people. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just little things like that. But there are some things that are non-negotiables. Some things you can't, uh, they're, they're what we call essentials. They're intrinsic essentials, meaning that there's something that's happened in us as Christ followers that's supposed to express itself outwardly. When we come to this parable uh, of the Good Samaritan, the setting is a lawyer has come to Jesus to trick him. He wants to get Jesus to say something negative about the law so that the lawyer then can say, ha you're not one of us. You're not one of us. You don't respect, you don't hold the law in high regard. So you're, you're a false teacher because they've continued to get a sneaky suspicion that Jesus doesn't value the law like they do. Because in Jesus day, people valued the law like this. I'm going to memorize it and I'm going to do it. And if I keep doing it, I'm going to tip the scales in my favor. And if I get more good than bad, then God has to receive and accept me. So you had lawyers who would memorize the 638 precepts. I mean, there were laws about everything, folks. How to go on a date, how to have a relationship, laws, ceremonial cleansing laws, how to walk and live in the tabernacle, how to offer sacrifice, how to operate business, how to uh, operate your other relationships outside of marriage. I mean, it, it goes on and on. I mean, little th- what you could and could not do on the Sabbath, how much you could carry, how much you could not carry, what work you could do, what is work, what is not work. Rings and rings of paper. And so these lawyer types and many religious people, they felt that if I could just be more good than bad, I could tip the scales in my favor. And finally, ultimately, get into the kingdom of God. Now, when you hold that as your premise, you know that you're really not guaranteed to get into the kingdom until old age because it's going to take you a lifetime before you can tip the scales, right? But they keep hearing Jesus when he teaches say things like this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for it is near. You can get in now. And so they're assuming that if Jesus thinks you can get in now, he doesn't hold that law in high regard because... Obviously, you don't have to keep the law. You don't have to tip it in your scales. There's another way. So he wants to trick Jesus to say something negative about the law. Then he's going to go tell all his lawyer friends. And he asked Jesus a simple question in the context of this parable. He says, Jesus, what do I need to do to get to heaven? He expects Jesus to say something like, well, just follow me. Just listen to what I say. Walk in the dust of the rabbi. You're in. And then he's going to say, aha, you don't hold the law in high regard. You're a false teacher. We shouldn't listen to you. But Jesus is brilliant. Jesus always answers a question with another question, (laughs) right? And he says, well, you want to know how you get into the kingdom? Let me ask you, what does the law say? How do you read it? He's saying, okay, you tell me. What does the law tell you concerning how to get in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you've got one of two ways to answer that question. As a lawyer, he'd be pretty sharp. One, you could list all 638 precepts. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what it says. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. And it'd take forever. Or you could just give the 40,000 foot view. You could talk about the spirit of the law. What what is the righteousness behind the law? What is the law really after? (coughs) And the lawyer chooses option two and does it quite well. Because he says in response to Jesus' question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers and says this, you've spoken rightly, you've done well. And then he adds this, do this and you will live. Now, why does he say that? 
Because that should have grabbed the lawyer's attention that even though you know the law and the spirit of the law, you don't do either one. So how can it save you? See, Jesus is saying, I know that you're here because you think I don't hold the law in high regard. I'm telling you that I hold the law in a higher regard than you do because you're so busy down in the weeds trying to keep one after the other that you don't know the spirit of the law. And even if you, don't know, if you do know the spirit of the law, which you've obviously confessed that you do, you don't keep it. What do you mean? All right, who does? Do you? Oh, I didn't ask you if you wanted to. I said, do you? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I mean, all the time? No. You might have good seasons, maybe even a good 30 minutes. But who of us in the room pursues God more than anything else? All the time. Well, I don't. Pastor, no. <laughs> Say it isn't so. I mean, come on. I have good times, good seasons, good days. Who, who pursues God above and beyond everything else all the time? Come on. All right. What is the real truth about us? We pursue God most passionately when we want to get God involved in giving us something we really want, the thing we really worship and pursue. That's how most of us operate with God. Come on. Just be honest. Just be transparent. You want me to be? I want you to be. We, we, we do love God. We do. We appreciate God. But does he govern every attitude and every decision you make 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No. No. We might even wish that he did and we'd like to try harder. But the reality is we don't. Jesus is trying to get this lawyer to admit, even if you know the spirit of the law, you don't keep it. And what about loving your neighbor as yourself? Oh, oh yeah, Right. I mean, come on. How many of you unfriend a friend on Facebook when they keep celebrating something good that's happening and you're just tired of hearing about it? Boom, unfriend. How many of you do that? Come on. We're supposed to rejoice when something good happens to somebody. We're not supposed to covet. We're not supposed to envy. Who does that all the time? I mean, you may have seasons where, yeah, congratulations, but down deep in your side, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Great job. But down deep inside, you're thinking, God, get him. <laughs> come on. You know, why, why can't my life turn out this way? Why can't good things happen to me? Why you? Why you? I mean, you're no better than me. Come on. We are covetous. We're envious. We're jealous. Now, we do have good times when we say, hey, I'm genuinely glad about what's happened to you. But most of the time, we wish it happened to us. Most of us spend our lives looking two rungs up the ladder, wishing we could climb to where people are rather than looking two rungs down, helping people get up to where we are. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're hearing from Pastor Jeff about kingdom living, particularly having as much love and care for others as we do for ourselves. The best definition I ever heard of loving your neighbor as yourself goes like this. To love your neighbor as yourself is to serve him with the grace and kindness and eagerness with which you serve yourself and meet the person's needs with all the power and passion you meet your own needs. That means you care just as much about your neighbor's success as you do your own. You care just about your neighbor's children as you do your own. This means forget about trying to keep up with the Joneses. Help the Joneses get to where you are. Who does that? I mean, come on. Who does that? You might have seasons again when you, you know, I love my neighbors, Jeff. I really do. But your whole life can be defined that way? See, what is Jesus hoping? Jesus is hoping the lawyer will hear this and think, well, if, if, if that's what I got to do to be saved, man, I'm, I forget it. I can't, I can't do it all the time. Jesus, how can you expect that of me? I can't do this all the time. He doesn't realize Jesus doesn't expect that of him, that he expects it of himself because the law is both his security and his killer. 
If you try to reach God by keeping the set of laws, rules, and regulations, then what you're doing is you're, you're taking control of your own salvation. And that gives you a false sense of security. Because you never stop to think that in reality, you don't even keep the law that you think is sacred. You violate your own moral code almost every day. And in hopes, Jesus wanted the lawyer to say, now, what, how should the lawyer have responded? He should have said, Jesus, man, I, I mean, now that I think about it and really rationalize my way through this, I, I do know the law. I can't keep it perfectly. What would Jesus have said? I know. The law was never meant to save you. It was just to show you like a mirror that your face is dirty and that you need the mercy and grace of God. And then Jesus would have been able to say, and God has given the riches of his mercy through the life and death of his son. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then that great verse in Romans 1 where the apostle Paul says, we are saved by righteousness, but it's not your righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes from God. Do you, know, do you know what that means? It means that, remember, there are two ways to be righteous. Keep the law perfectly or pay the penalty for breaking it. You and I have broken it. Jesus paid our penalty on the cross, past, present, future sins. So the death Jesus died for our sins, God credited it to your account. So that when he sees you, he actually sees you as righteous, right under the law. Now, pragmatically, you may not be righteous, but judicially, Legally, God sees you as having met the requirements of the law through Christ. Therefore, he sees you as one of his. Now, if the lawyer would just admitted that, things would have been good. But if you look at the text, I think it's in verse 29. The Bible says the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he asked a question. He wants to get into semantics with Jesus. He says, well, it depends what you mean by the word is. No, he didn't say that. He actually said, what do you mean by neighbor? I mean, who's really my neighbor? Now, why is he struggling with this? Because again, the law is his identity. You know, remember what Abdul Murray said? That it's not uh, that there's a, a lack of evidence for the reason someone rejects Jesus. It's that to receive the message Jesus gives is hard because it means that some things would have to change. In other words, sometimes to, for you to receive Christ would have to be to admit your parents were wrong. Wow, that's just too hard for some people. <coughs> to receive Jesus in grace would mean that your tradition, your religious tradition might have been erroneous, that you really are saved by grace, not by works. And that would be to admit that everything before this point in your life was an error. And, and that's just too hard. It might mean that you've got to go to your parents or even your wife or even your husband and say, I got to tell you, I found Jesus. I found a savior. And then you're just worried about what that's going to change and how that's going to look. And that's what happened to this lawyer. But I've memorized the law. I've put so much time and effort into it. I mean, doesn't it count for something? So he wants to change the subject. And he says, by the way, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And here's what he's asking and why this parable is so important. He's basically asking Jesus this. Okay, I've asked you how to get into the kingdom of heaven. You've told me to love God and love my neighbor. Well, I feel like I've been loving God by memorizing his law. But what about the neighbor thing? 
What is the righteousness that proves I'm in the kingdom? What does it look like? That's what he's asking. In other words, what, what would be evident in my life to prove that I'm the genuine, authentic deal and I'm, I'm on my way to heaven? And Jesus, in that context, tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, he, the Samaritan finds this guy in a ditch and he meets all of his needs, all of them. Think about how it's written. He even meets his transportation need. He puts him on a donkey and takes him to the inn. He protects him from future robbers. If he continues to lie there, people are just going to continue to rob and continue to wound. But he picks him up. He carries him. He, 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 he meets his need for shelter. He gives him water to drink and food. And then he tells the innkeeper, here's two denarii. Give him whatever he needs. Meet all his needs and I'll pay the rest when I come tomorrow. And the reason that's important is because when Jesus is defining the kind of life his followers will lead, he brings up compassion and social work. And here's the problem. Most Christ followers believe that while it is good and nice to take care of people in need, it's really optional. Most Christ followers believe, yeah, we should go to church, we should sing songs, we should study the word, but you know, compassion and mercy, that's really an optional thing. It's not something you really have to do for the kingdom. It's optional. And so Jesus in Matthew 25 says that at the end of time, there's going to be a huge crowd before him and they're going to be, everybody's going to be claiming, yeah, man, we're, we were on your side all along. And he's going to say, there's a little test I'm going to do. It's a metaphor, I know, but it's to help us, not to help him. He said, there's a little test. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the test is a simple one. The ones who really got the gospel, now let's see what he means by that. The ones who really understood that they were in a ditch, they were lost and alone. They didn't pull themselves up by the bootstraps and become righteous. They weren't even trying. While they were still sinners, while they were still ungrateful, I reached down and pulled them out by grace. The people who really understand the gospel are going to be the same people who reach down into the ditch and pull people out, even people who they don't think is, are deserving, even people who they think got themselves in that position and they should stay. They're not going to deal with those issues. They're just going to pull them out because Christ pulled them out while they were still sinners. They're going to pull them out while they're still sinners. And he said, I'll know them because they gave me water to drink and they put clothing on me and they visited me when I was in prison and they came to pour oil on me when I was sick for healing. And that's how I'll know. I'll know the difference between the two because one will have pity, but the other will have mercy. The difference between the two is pity is when you say, I feel sorry for somebody. Mercy is when I feel sorry for them. I'm going to do something about it. My hands are going to get dirty and I'm going to pull them out of the ditch. And so when you realize the hopeless case you were, you're going to begin looking at those who seem hopeless to you with new eyes because love expresses itself through deeds and not just sentiment. Love expresses itself through deeds. Can we say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. Love expresses itself through deeds and not just sentiment. One more time. Love expresses itself through deeds and not just sentiment. And in 1 John 3, the apostle says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. And then finally, stay with me and then I'll go around third and head home. 
finally, when he says, Jesus, who's my neighbor? He's trying to get Jesus to whittle it down. He's trying to say, Jesus, okay, all right, I got it. I got to be nice to my neighbor, but surely you don't mean the Romans. And Jesus goes right past the Romans into the worst people that Jews believe existed on planet earth, the very bottom of the spiritual barrel, the Samaritans. The Samaritans is the good guy in the parable. You got to understand, Jews despised Samaritans. Uh, like, kind of like Dodger fans despise Giants fans. You know, or like, uh, let's say, like St. Louis people, especially Rams fans, despise Los Angeles. Okay? Or for some of you who may get this, some of you won't, like, uh, like Blake Griffin despises trainers. Some of you will get that. Some of you. But... <laughs> So, as a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, they're so angry with Jesus, they actually call him a Samaritan. That's the worst name they could think. You, you, you Samaritan, they call Jesus. Jesus' point in the parable, you want to know who your neighbor is? It's anybody God brings across your path that is in need. That's your neighbor. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll leave it there for today and hear more Kingdom Living next time on the program. Some of you think this sermon is going to go one way and I think it'll surprise you when it ends another. Head to vision.org.au and search for Jeff Vines to hear more now. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.